following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Today we're going to be back in Colossians, continuing our study through Colossians. So if you'll turn to chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, we're going to continue on in our, our study of this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit of God given to the Apostle Paul to write and send to the church in Colossae. And as you're finding that spot, I want to tell you a very brief story about someone that we would recognize his name, Daniel Webster. Uh, you may recognize that last name, but he was a very famous American politician and an orator uh, back in the, the early years of this nation. And he once spent a summer in New Hampshire, away from Washington. And every Lord's Day in, in that summer in New Hampshire, he would go and attend this little country church morning and evening on Sundays. And so his niece asked him why he would do that. He said uh, he, he was talking about his family and his, his niece had asked him this question why he went to this little country church when, while he was in Washington, she observed that he paid very little attention to preachers and churches in Washington. And I want you to hear what he told his niece. He said, in Washington, they preached to Daniel Webster, the statesman. But this man has been telling Daniel Webster, the sinner, about Jesus of Nazareth. Apparently, in this little country church in New Hampshire, Daniel Webster's name didn't carry all that much weight. He was just another sinner who needed Jesus. And so there was no uh, pretense, there was no, oh, this is Daniel Webster, we have to be very kind to him and maybe tell him what he wants to hear. This preacher knew the secret of the Gospel. And he was unafraid to preach it to whomever. We find in, even in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter what your name is. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what family you grew up in. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. He's the only hope we have. So that's why we preach the Bible. That's why we preach Jesus. And we don't preach anything else. Well, let, let me rephrase that. That's why I preach the Bible. I preach Jesus. So I don't have anything else to say. So we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, back to the book of Colossians, 
at the end of chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. If you'd follow along with me, the words are on the screen for you. If you'd like to follow those, we'll read from verse 24 to the fifth verse in chapter 2. Here's what God says through Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body... Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name I pray you will speak clearly to our hearts this morning. And as we understand, I pray we will be obedient for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text this morning, if you can see and kind of piece together the flow of the letter. Last time, two weeks ago, we finished up with maybe one of the most beautiful descriptions of Christ in the Bible. From verse 15 to verse 23 about who Jesus is, what God's done through Christ for His children But I want you to look at verse 23, which leads us into today's passage, which is basically just two paragraphs. Uh, The first one is one huge long sentence. But verse 23, you see how, how it finishes that previous thought. If you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, it was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul literally became a servant. So I want you to see how this sets up for today. He just wrote that we need to stay close to the hope of the Gospel you've heard. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff going on in that verse, right? Because first of all, we know that our hope is found in the Gospel. And then we know we've heard the Gospel. And then we know we need to stay close to the hope we have in the Gospel. 
Right? All those things. But then he says, it's proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And so that makes you beg this question. Well, how's that happen? Because people are sharing it. Right? And those people are us, his children. We're supposed to be sharing it. And then he says, and of which I, Paul, became, it says was made, the little Greek word there is became, I became a servant. And that word there for minister, the last word, verse 23, is that Greek word diakonos, where we get deacon, where we get servant. And by the way, that's coming up, because next week we're going to talk about uh, our annual deacon election. Who can, um, who can be qualified to serve the church, right? That's the word, diakonos. So Paul just said he became a servant of the gospel, but now, I want you to see the first verse of verse 24, the first word I should say. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, there's three things in these two paragraphs, this set of verses that we're going to look at today. Uh, three things I want us to, to look at very clearly. First of all, a faithful servant suffers. A faithful servant suffers. Now that does not sound like a very pleasant way to start a sermon, right? Let's talk about suffering. Who wants to line up for the line that says suffering this way? Nobody. Nobody's wanting to do that. But we have to know and, and manage. I, I must have said this ten times this past week with uh, ten adults and twenty teenagers in Miami. You need to manage your expectations of what's happening this week. The key word on a mission trip, anybody know what it is? Flexibility. Because very rarely does everything happen the way you plan it to happen. You've got to be able to roll with it and still do what you're there to do. So, we need to manage our expectations when it comes to suffering. Because Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He says, In my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, to fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, first of all, we need to make sure we understand, is there anything lacking in the affliction that Christ suffered? Well, no. Because He was a complete sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. He accomplished the redemptive plan of God. But here's what that means. See, Paul's in a prison suffering for the sake of the Gospel and by extension, he's suffering for the sake of these believers in this church because they're saved and redeemed by the Gospel. And so what he's saying is, I'm suffering on your behalf because I'm su we're all suffering for the sake of the Gospel. So if we think we're going to follow Jesus and everything in life is just going to be peachy and we're not going to have any issues at all and no one's ever going to be mean to us, no one's ever going to look down on us or exclude us or treat us poorly because of Christ and the Gospel, then we are sorely mistaken. We're living in a, in a dream world if we think that's the truth. And, and some people have become quite popular preaching a message exactly like that. Come to Jesus. Everything in your life will be perfect. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you'll have a long life. You'll never want for anything. And everything will go great. That's nonsense. 
That's nonsense. That's not in the Bible. Look at every single one of the disciples and how their lives came to an end. It wasn't because they were sitting on a fat bank account on the beach somewhere just loving life for following Jesus. That's not, that's not the truth. In fact, that's, that's a lie. So, a faithful servant suffers, and Paul rejoices in that, that he's suffering for the sake of these believers whom he had never met. He suffers on behalf of the body, which is the church. And he suffers according to the pattern that was set forth by Christ in his own ministry. And by the way, the church is built up by repeated acts of self-denial and individuals one after the other in generation after generation who continue the work that Christ began suffering for the sake of the Gospel. Because if you've ever shared Christ with someone more than once, then you probably are aware not everybody's happy about that. Some people don't like it at all. I'm going to give you a, a, a fresh illustration. Uh, Thursday, Wednesday evening. Wednesday evening, I think it was about the time uh, the folks were gathered here for Bible study and prayer. I was standing in a place called Volunteer Park in Sunrise, Florida, which is one of the parks I was talking about a moment ago where people just gathered by the hundreds because the weather's pretty, the breeze is blowing, there's all kind of things to do. People are out there walking and this particular pastor of the church we were serving uh, has a real good idea to make an impact in these parks. He had a bunch of these little, you know, like them signs you stick in the ground. And uh, all it said was, had the little church logo in the bottom corner, all it says was, need prayer? Question mark? Need prayer? And he had about ten of them. And we'd send out little groups of two or three, four people all over the park. It set up at just different spots with a little cooler of bottled water and that sign and a stack of cards for the, for the church. And we just sit, sit the sign in the grass and just stand there. And every time someone goes by, hey, how you doing? Can I pray for you? 20 seconds. Won't take, won't take but 20 seconds. Can I just pray for you? Some people, you know, just kept on walking. No, thank you. But in my experience this week, more often than not, really? Well, yeah. Everybody needs prayer. So I prayed with dozens of people this week, handed out cards for the church. Most of them gave a positive response, except for this one. Wednesday night, we're set up similar spot to where I'd been two nights before. And here comes a gentleman walking. He's uh, black pants, black shirt, black sunglasses, long black hair, holding two leashes. And on the other end of each of these leashes was about a 110-pound Rottweiler, both one in each arm, and just walking. And I saw him coming across this little boardwalk, and he was coming toward us. And so, you know, sometimes I just I say stuff. If you've ever been around, sometimes I'll just say stuff, you know. I'll just, just try to start a conversation. And I said, where he could hear me, Man, look at those beautiful dogs. And they really were. They were really good-looking dogs. 
And so I just complimented on his on his dogs. And he said, oh man, thanks. I said, uh, hey, how are you doing today? How, how's your day going? And then he cursed at me, and, and not at me, but to me, to describe his day, how poorly it was going, apparently. I said, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Can I, can I pray for you? And he said, no, thank you. I'm a Satanist. And I said, all right. Smile. Walked on by. He got right at the edge of earshot. And I started praying for him. Because here's what I realized. You don't have the power to tell me I can't pray for you. I can pray for whoever I want to. Whenever I want to. However long I want to. However loud I want to. And you can't stop me. So when you refuse the gift of prayer, that's your problem, it's not mine. And I've told that story to some of the other folks down there as an encouragement to say, you're, you're never going to get rejected trying to pray for people. Because they don't have the authority to do that. As if I'm, I'm now bound by His inclination for me not to pray. When I ask Him, can I pray for you? And He walks off and I start praying for Him. I said, God, this gentleman by His own ex expression doesn't believe in you. In fact, he, he'd rather follow the enemy. So I pray tonight you'll do something unmistakable in his heart and life where he, he just can't get away from it and that you'll bother him really bad until he gets to the bottom of why he's so unsettled. In Jesus' name. I don't know what happened to this brother. I don't know what's happening to him right this minute. But I know for one thing, for sure, I prayed for him. So, so what are we doing in an effort to proclaim the Gospel and to further the Kingdom? Are we willing to potentially suffer? Are we willing to be treated poorly or, or worse? For the sake of Christ and His Gospel. Because here's what underlies that, the answer to that question. Are you, are you listening? If we're not, then do we really believe that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe? Because Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So if, if we really do believe that, are we ashamed of the Gospel? Now, I doubt very seriously if any of us would stand up and say, I'm ashamed of the Gospel. Probably not going to do that. Not going to articulate it that way. But what are we indicating by our words and our actions. You follow me? A faithful servant suffers. In fact, in fact, God told Ananias the day Saul got saved, hey, go see that brother over there because he's, he's blind and he's praying. He don't know what he's praying, but he's praying. And you know what, you know what one of the things Ananias is supposed to tell him? He... 
don't be afraid. He's a chosen instrument of mine. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. That's how Paul's ministry started. I'm going to show you how much you got to suffer. A faithful servant suffers. Number two, a faithful servant teaches. He teaches. What, what, what do we teach? Well, Paul says in verse 25, I was made a minister, a servant, a diakonos, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. And so, what was he serving? Well, in this context, if you, you look at verse 24, the word church is up there in the middle somewhere. If you look in the Greek New Testament, it's the last word in verse 24. Ecclesia, called out uh, church, the assembly. And so it follows right into verse 25, of which I was, I became a servant. So it's very clear that he's serving the church. So you know what that means? Paul didn't choose his job, his job chose him. God put him in that place. He became a servant of the church. So now he's a servant in verse 23 of the gospel. Now he's a servant of the church. Because God put this on him, bestowed it on him for the benefit of believers. Look at the end of verse 25. So I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Well, you know the word preaching is not in the original text. So what he really is saying here is I'm, my purpose in my calling is to fulfill the Word of God. To bring to completion the Word of God. You know what that means? Guess who's starting to get saved? Gentiles. Guess who ought to be thrilled about that? Everybody in here. Because I don't think any of us are Jewish, right? So, so the, the Gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. And so Paul is sent to fulfill the Word of God which says every single people, nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be before the throne of God worshiping Him. And so in order for that to happen... The gospel's got to go to Gentiles. We saw it in the book of Acts. That's what happened in chapter thirteen, chapter ten, chapter thirteen, and then they were overjoyed. So Paul is trying to fulfill or bring to completion the word of God. And what is that exactly? It's a mystery. Now these are I want you to know if you if you like to take notes, verse twenty seven and then chapter two, verse three are two of the key verses in this letter. Because right, the Bible says it's a mystery. It's been kept hidden for ages and generations. But now it's been made known to whom God willed to make it known. This mystery, the riches of the glory of God in the Gospel to the Gentiles. And here's what it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope for glory is Christ. In us. If we want to have any hope in this world, there's only one place to get it. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's a mystery, but not anymore. So, Paul, and Paul uses this word a lot riches. Christ had opened a door for him to this inexhaustible treasure of goodness and glory and wisdom and grace. And every time he walks into it, he finds something new. It just takes his breath away. The riches of the glory of God, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
So what do we do with that? Verse 28, we proclaim. We proclaim what? Jesus. If, if Christ is our hope, then we proclaim Christ. We, we preach Christ. We spread the Gospel of Christ. Why do we do that? Look, look very carefully here at verse 28. It uses the same phrase three times in one verse. It talks about proclaiming Christ because He is the hope of glory. And then He says, admonishing, look at this, every man. Teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, perfect, mature in Christ. So once, once the hope, once the mystery was let out of the bag, then the message was clear. See, it's not a mystery anymore. It's, it's Jesus. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we got to tell people, we got to tell everybody. You want to know why evangelism and missions are such big deals? Discipleship? It's because that's what we're here for. That's our primary purpose. Individually and collectively, our number one priority is wrapped up in this threefold purpose of evangelism, missions, and discipleship. That, that's our reason for existence. Now be very careful with that term. Because here's what it means. If we're not doing what we exist to be doing, then why exactly are we here? If you've got a company that is founded to build a particular item, uh, that's all they do. They build this one thing, this one product. Maybe it's a part of another end product, but it's, this, they build this one thing. If that's what they exist to build, and they just say, well, uh, let's just stop building that. You know what's going to happen? They're going to go out of business. Because they have stopped doing the very thing for which they exist to do. So if the church is not spreading the Gospel, going on mission and preaching the Gospel to folks who don't have access, making disciples by uh, helping to teach uh, folks to, to obey all that God has said, if we're not contributing to the spread of the Gospel, preaching the Gospel, making disciples then that means we are going out of business. So that demands us to come to some conclusions. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be proclaiming Jesus, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so we may present every man complete, perfect, mature in Christ. And then Paul says, for this purpose also I labor striving. You know the Greek word there is agonize. I'm agonizing over this. It's so important according to the power where we get our word energy of God which mightily works within me. And all of that is, is Paul saying we have Christ as our hope. We need to preach Christ. And then he tells us why in chapter 2. For I want you to know. I want you to know. This is number 3. A faithful servant intercedes. 
a faithful servant intercedes. That means he's a go-between, he's a mediator, he's a helper for others. This metaphor is continuing. This is like a, uh, an athletic arena, that word agonizing, striving, working as hard as he can. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm agonizing. I have this struggle on your behalf and for those at Laodicea and for those who have never even met me. So he's got groups of people that don't even know him personally. And he's, he's agonizing for the faith and maturity of believers he's never even met. Now if he's doing that, how serious do you suppose we should be about at the very minimum worrying about our own family, spiritually speaking. That that's the that's the the baseline. Right? Paul's sitting here agonizing over folks he's never even met, but he knows that they're uh, they've been uh, hearers, receivers of the gospel, and they're believers of Christ and so He's agonizing for them because they're all ultimately in the same family. So he's he's agonizing, he's interceding, and and why is he doing that? Verse two, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, and and the means of the encouragement is that they've been knit together in love, and the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Understanding what the gospel, understanding Jesus. Because that's what they're proclaiming. We proclaim Christ. So they want everybody to have... He, he, you know, Timothy was hanging out with him there in the prison. I say he's hanging out with him like he had a choice. He was in jail with him too. You know, They were both preaching. They both got thrown in jail. So that's what their prayer is. They want to encourage their hearts. Because remember, there's false teaching lurking around. So they've been knit together in love and they have this wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. And look at the result. The result of that is a true knowledge of God's mystery. There's that word again. Mystery. And what is the mystery? It's Christ. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. And so this is the other key verse that leads into this when he says... The mystery is Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Folks, you want hope of glory. You need wisdom and knowledge. One source. Jesus. Jesus has all the wisdom and knowledge there is. Jesus has all the hope you need. That's why in verse 28, back in chapter 1, that's why that's the message. We proclaim Him, Christ, the hope of glory. Because He has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what is this leading to? Why why is Paul so concerned to make sure this is the message? It's all about Jesus. Because verse 4, I'm saying this so nobody's going to confuse you or derail you, he used the word delude you, make you confused or misunderstand because they've got a persuasive argument. Here, here, picture this. And, I, and no offense to anyone, 
this is a stereotype, and stereotypes aren't always true. But have you ever run across a salesman of any brand that's not altogether honest, but is really, really concerned about making a sale and will say or do just about anything in order to make a sale? In the movies and TV, sometimes you see this depicted as a, a used car salesman. You know, that's like a stereotype, like I said. It's not always true. But if you picture somebody with a persuasive argument, verse 4, trying to convince somebody by talking real fast and giving out some smooth lines and building up all the benefits and not talking about any of the drawbacks, Paul's trying to guard against these false teachers to say you need a full dose of Christ and that will guard you against this other nonsense. You get all full of Jesus and then you won't have to worry about this other stuff. Y'all alright? Everybody okay? And Paul was not a spectator. He was in the starting lineup. He wasn't indifferent to these people. It didn't matter that he hadn't met them. Because it says here in verse 5, even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you. I'm with you in spirit and I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. This is military images using, that he's using here. It's good discipline, like the, the orderly uh, arrangement of a, of a battalion of soldiers. The stability of faith. It's this uh, like unyielding uh, convictions. They're so, so stable in their faith. Their lines are unbroken. Their discipline's intact. Their faith in Christ is unshaken even though they have false teachers in their midst trying to lead them astray. And see, we may not have false teachers strolling into church trying to, to um, promote anti-biblical teaching here among us, but it's all around us. It's everywhere. There are plenty of sources of information around us. And they're not all right. God, however, is always right. The Bible is always right. You know, you run across people all the time. They're uh, always confident, sometimes right. Or the counterpart of that statement, often wrong, never in doubt. Right? They're real confident, no matter if they're telling you the truth or not. Well, I have found a source that's always true. And I just soon stick to that. Because one thing I am positive of and that is that Jesus has never lied. He's never broke a promise. He's never led me astray. 
And He's never gonna. Because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This mystery that was hidden long ago for generations has now been made known among us, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's what we need to do. We want to be faithful servants of Christ. Who, who is that? Is it just the man who preaches on Sunday? How does it apply to all of us? Jesus Christ personally called the Apostle Paul to a relationship with Him. It changed his life. And Paul didn't testify about Christ and live for Him and preach because he was an apostle. He lived for Christ and preached because he was a Christian. Do you hear what I just said? A faithful servant of Jesus is faithful to Christ not because they got a job to do. They're faithful because Jesus called them to be faithful. Jesus called us into a relationship. And so, you know, everybody's got a job to do. But the children of God who are called into personal relationships with Christ get to preach a sermon every single day with their lives. And so here's what we need to do. We should preach the Gospel in our actions as well as our words. Every day. Just pretend like you're back in elementary school. Show and tell. And you can't have one without the other. Because here's what happens. When, when you show and tell... And what you show matches what you tell. Guess what happens? That's what we call a credible witness. You say something and you back it up with what you do. Right? Show and tell. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.